Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Welcome back to Set for Life. Today we're in 2 Samuel 11. I have lost 50 pounds in about the last three months or so. And before I was wearing baggy clothes, it was covering up a lot of the weight I had put on. I had loose clothes. I didn't tuck shirts in. I still don't. Sometimes I do now. But I've gone from a 2XL to an XL now. I have to buy a new belt because I kept drilling holes in my old belt. <laughs> I just got tired of that. So I just I got to get a new belt. Anyway, it's great. But when you're covering up, you're not spending your time making efforts to change anything. You know, when you when you just cover up, cover up, your mind is not set on, I should do something different. And you know, to, to drop 50 pounds, you have to stop doing one thing, leave it, and start doing a different thing. You have to stop one thing and start doing another thing. And that's basically what repentance is. You have to stop this and start that. A lot of people that hate the word repentance in the spiritual context, they will agree with me on the physical context that when you are in a health problem, you have to stop doing something. Now, you know, why is it people can accept that when it comes to physical things or even financial things? If you spend too much money, stop spending too much money or you're going to run out. Why is it people understand it in those contexts? when it has to do with finances or physical things, but when it comes to the spiritual, they don't want to hear it. Well, how come my problems are still there? And they'll voice their opinion to, you know, I've got these problems, what should I do? And you talk to them about repentance, and it's like the answer just flies right over their head, and they don't hear that as an answer at all. You know, guys, repentance is hugely critical, and it blankets everything in your life. You've got to stop and change. Don't spend time covering up. We will try to cover up our financial problems with, well, I need to try to make more money. No, you make enough money. Do you just need to stop spending like crazy or the gaining weight thing? Well, I'll just go to the gym and power it out. Well, you can't. That's why you're plateauing and you're stuck at a certain weight because you won't change the diet. You have to change your diet. You got to hydrate like crazy. You can't just do one little thing and expect drastic changes. It's like a full big repentance and you end up trying to cover it with something else. And the problem will just get worse. I was getting heavier and heavier. Something drastic had to change. Well, we're going to see that in 2 Samuel 11. David's going to try to cover something up rather than just deal with it with repentance and confession. Let's see what happens now as we go into it in 2 Samuel 11 and 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Okay, big point right there. 
Kings were supposed to lead their armies. They were supposed to go out with the military. And for David to be staying at Jerusalem, you could say he got lazy. So I want to show you this as red flag number one. Here's the first problem. David was slacking off of his leadership role, and he sent Joab out to go to war. The leadership role was put on Joab. David was chilling, taking it easy. Now, remember, God had made the Davidic covenant through David. God never made the Joabic covenant. It's the Davidic covenant. David has the covenant power here, and he's laying down on the job. This cannot be good. 2 Samuel 11 and 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Okay, Bathsheba's name means daughter of an oath. I know that's kind of hard to believe right here because <laughs> what she's doing, but there, this leads into all the speculation that there's a lot of arguments, a lot of debates out there. A lot of people tried to defend Bathsheba for what she did. I believe that both of them, David and Bathsheba, consented to this encounter, this adultery here, but I'm not, I'm not going to waste too much time on that debate because there's other bigger fish to fry here, and the, the bigger fish here was the, the fact that David, as the leader of the entire Israelite nation, he was the one who was going to be held highly responsible. It was all mostly going to fall on him. He's the king. He's the one with the authority here. Whether Bathsheba tried to lure David by, oh, I think I'll take a bath up here at the time when I think the king can see me up on that high place where he's at. I'll, I'll get his attention. There's people accuse her of that, and people, people say, no, she's just an innocent bath, whichever way it was. All of this could have been completely avoided if David had turned the other way, if he had turned his head. And David is going to take the blame. The blame is mostly all going to fall on him because he was her leader. It was his job to lead her rightly, and he did not. It's kind of like the story of Adam and Eve. Paul had said that Eve sinned first, but Adam was the one who was held responsible because right after they sinned at the tree, the great fall, they heard the Lord coming to them in Genesis 3, 9, then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now, I want you to notice it does not say that God called to Eve. God did not say, Eve, where are you? You sin first. Get up front and center, Eve. You're the first one to mess up. Doesn't say that. He did not call out Adam and Eve. He didn't call to both of them. Where are you? It says God called out to who? He called out to Adam the one who was held responsible because of Adam's authority. David was responsible for leading Bathsheba rightly, but he gave in to temptation. Now, 2 Samuel 10 and 5, And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now David's in a real spot. I mean, he, he's blown it. He's really done a number here. Consider the fact that he is the king of all Israel. He had been victorious under covenant from the Lord. 
Other kingdoms wanted the blessing that he was getting. They, some of them wanted to come in and join it. The ones who did not join in Israel, they conquered and made them submit to tribute. Now, what do you think is going to happen when the whole world finds out that King David has committed adultery, the leader of the world superpower of that day? I mean, all eyes are upon David right here because Israel is where all the blessing is. This is the place where the Lord God is funneling everything through. What's going to happen when David gets caught with this? What is David going to do? Verse 3 says that someone told David that her husband was Uriah. David knows this is a married woman. Uh, 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 not good, guys. 2 Samuel 11 and 6. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. (laughs) And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. (laughs) Okay, first off, Uriah was one of David's mighty men of war. He's not a small timer here. He he's got insight into the how the war is going. That's why David's getting reports out of him. So he's he's a significant man. But check this out. Look at this. How you doing? You know, he's trying to make it look like he brought him in for military reporting. Let's make this look all official. How are things going? How's the family? How are the Houston Astros doing? You know, kind of stuff like that. Hey, you know, um, Uriah, I was thinking, you know, why don't you go take some time off? Why don't you go home? You know, spend some time with the wife. Take it easy. Friends, what do you think David is trying to do here? He's trying to get Uriah to go home to his wife. Hint, hint. Do you see this? What's going on? He's trying to get Uriah to go home and be a husband to her. So that nine months later, when everybody thinks that Bathsheba's new child was actually Uriah's instead of David. But for this to work, David has to get Uriah to go home. Uriah has to go home or this is not going to work. David is trying to cover up his sin. He's trying to cover it up. 2 Samuel 10 and 10. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go down to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Not looking good. But, you know, guys, I believe that the Lord caused Uriah to stay put, basically, as an instrument of accountability against David. I think the Lord is making Uriah stay there so that this really puts on the heat, doesn't it? But in Uriah's mind, his reason for staying is because he was a soldier, and soldiers refuse to indulge themselves in personal pleasures while their brothers are out there fighting a battle that still has yet to be won. Uriah doesn't want to go home. He was a soldier who had integrity, 
He had honor. He understood the sense of brotherhood, and his focus was on the mission. It was on the task, and he's not going to go home until before the job is done. He's not going to go home until the job is done. And so David just discovered that his plan to cover up his sin is not really working out too good, is it? Second Samuel 11 and 12. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. Oh, I love that. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. (laughs) It's not working, David. You know, I love it how David said, you know, I will let you go home tomorrow. Like he's trying to emphasize his authority, like, hello, I'm the king here. You know, tomorrow I'll let you go home, you know, move along, scoot, get out of here, get. He stayed an extra day past that, a whole nother day. And so David amplified his efforts by trying to get Uriah drunk. Now think about what alcohol does to a man's, you know, drive. Okay, he's trying to get Uriah to want his wife so bad that he's going to run home, kick the door open and say, honey, I'm home. You see what David's trying to do, getting him drunk? He's trying to amplify Uriah's senses. What's amazing to me is that David had been so successful all this time, conquering army after army, and Saul couldn't even pin David down either. But David can't get this one single guy, married guy, excuse me, but you know what I meant. He can't get this one guy to go home. He's the king. Go home. I'll let you go home and get you drunk. And he won't leave. I really believe, guys, that the Lord was holding Uriah still because what David has done displeased the Lord. He's not going out with the armies for battle. Friends, this was David's job. It was his duty. You see a sense of duty in Uriah. No, I'm not going to go until the job is done. But what's David doing? He's goofing off. David had lost his diligence. You know that when there's a job to do, you are the one that has to go do it. Do your job. David's not doing his job. And when he lost his earnestness and his walk with the Lord, that's when sin seizes the opportunity. Now he's stuck in a real rut. 2 Samuel eleven fourteen. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Look at how this is getting worse all the time. First, it was just temptation. Now, friends, I'll tell you, temptation is not sin. It is not sin. Jesus Christ himself was sinless, and he was tempted. Temptation is not sin, but giving in to it is. David could have turned his head, and he didn't. So he gave in to temptation. It escalated up into adultery, and then it became a cover-up. See the layers building up. It's getting heavier and heavier all the time. It became a cover-up, and now it has become full-blown murder. Murder. He ordered Joab 
to shove Uriah into the biggest, hottest, bloodiest, most extreme battle that Joab could possibly design him into. Just shove him in there and then pull everybody out. Bam, get everybody out all of a sudden, but leave Uriah in there. That way he'll be vulnerable. He set Uriah up as an easy target. David set him up to die. This is murder. Yes, it's David. And I know your heart's breaking because mine is too. The great David we've come to love, and you'll still love after this, believe me. But this is David. It's heartbreaking. But let's go back to the cover-up mentality real quick. All David would have to do is just include Uriah's name in a killed-in-action list, and then he gets away with it, right? But the part I can't just, I just can't get past this is how David made Uriah carry his own death warrant, made him carry, hand-carry, his own death message to Joab. How could he do such a thing? I'll tell you how. Sin. Friends, this is what sin does. Willful sin combined with trying to cover it up. It will make you do the dumbest, most stupid things that you would have never, ever done. It will make you do things you would not ordinarily do. It will make you just dumb, drunk dumb, spiritually deceived dumb, beyond dumb. (laughs) And usually, the person that's making the stupid mistake like this is too blind to even know they're doing it. And it usually takes an outside person to come tell them, hey, here's what you're doing. And usually you got to tell the person three or four times and they'll try to deflect it and they'll bounce it off and they'll justify it a hundred different ways. They will not see it. Guys, that's what sin will do to you. But look at verse 17. It says some of David's servants fell. Some of his servants. Guys, Uriah is not the only one that died in this battle. That means that David's cover up has gotten even worse and it has killed even more people than just Uriah. It's now a multi-murder. Friends, can you see what happens when you do not deal with sin quickly? Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. What he was meaning was be as ruthless with sin as you have to, to get it out of your life. Do whatever it takes. Get it out. And this is getting way out of hand. Guys, it's like fire. When you let fire out, it will spread until it burns the whole house down. 2 Samuel 11 and 18. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath arises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerebesheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Friends, let's consider that Joab had been fighting a lot of battles, okay? There's a lot of battles going on against the Ammonites, not just one battle. And so Joab wanted to make a differentiation. He wanted the messenger to express the unique details of this particular battle to set this one battle apart from the rest, because he knew that David would get infuriated that Joab made a military blunder that got a bunch of guys killed of fighting too close to the city, causing good men to die. 
And so Joab didn't want David to think that he was messing up like David was messing up. Okay. Joab wanted to kind of, I guess you could say, protect his reputation here because he told the messenger, you need to tell David that hint, hint, Uriah died in this battle. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. And so he brought up to the messenger, a well-remembered mistake that Joab remembered that a man named Abimelech had made in the past. It was recorded in Judges 9 and 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed him. So his young man thrust him through and he died. Okay, Joab remembers this military mistake, so that's why he told the messenger, if David gets angry at how I handled this strategy in this battle, just tell him this is the battle that Uriah died in. Kind of like, you know, you remember you told me to do this? Then David would think, oh, yeah, 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 okay, okay, that's the battle Joab used to take out Uriah with. Okay, no wonder he, he fought like that. Okay, got it. This was Joab's little secret way to inform David that this military mistake was actually pre-planned on purpose just to get Uriah killed like he was ordered to. Now, another thing, if you happen to be wondering why Joab did not question David's orders, he gets a note, hey, get this guy killed, okay? You got to remember, Joab is the guy that sucker stabbed Abner in the gut in a refuge city several chapters ago. Joab is a real scoundrel. He's, he's, a, he's quite a case. And so David's orders have this guy killed. It kind of lines up with Joab's character. And so it was only natural for Joab to just follow these orders without question. Joab plays the game. He knows how the rules go. He figures, okay, David's finally where I'm at. Good. We're on the same page. All right. You're right. You're out of here. Joab's a bad guy. Okay. Second Samuel eleven twenty two. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Oh, my goodness. David's response to this military report, I guess you could say, was rather predictable. It was like, oh, well, you know, sometimes you die, sometimes you live. That's how war is. Sometimes it gets their guys. Sometimes it gets our guys. You know. Oh my gosh, guys, look, David has now not only tried to cover up his sin, causing more men to die for it, but now David's trying to pass the blame off of himself. You ever seen people do this? There's a big problem, but they're so blind. Blind is this. They're so blind, they think that, well, that, that's just the way things go.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.